Good morning, church family. Are you ready for the third installment of our series, All In? For those of you that are just joining us, we are making our way through the book of Acts. And I have to say that I believe that this series has the potential to be a game changer. Not only for our lives individually, but also for our church. Why? Because no other book gives us a bird's eye view into the person of the Holy Spirit and his workings like the book of Acts. And so having said that, I want you to turn with me to the second chapter of Acts. And I want us to dive right into our text this morning or else we're not going to get halfway through the book of Acts before Christmas. It's already our third message, and we're just now getting into to chapter 2, and there are 28 chapters in this book. I know that would probably be okay with many of you, though, right? Someone says, we can make that into a whole year thing, and so, hey, aren't you thankful for the Word of God? Come on, man. I am thankful for the Word of God. Listen, were it not for the Word of God, we would be utterly lost. Were it not for the Word of God, we would have no hope. And were it not for the word of God, we would not even know about the love of God. But thank God that he sent his word and allowed his word to take up on flesh and walk among us, the only begotten of the Father, so that you and I could be healed, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Come on, it's a good place to say amen right there. By the way, in case you're new here to Destiny, let me just tell you that preaching for me isn't really a monologue. It's more of a dialogue. Like, I love it. If, you, if I say something and that's good, you can say, hey, pastor, that's good. That's good. That's good, pastor. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Say that again, right? That's, you know what? Can I, can I take a bunny trail for a minute? I, I got to tell you something. Uh, when I was about maybe 19 years old, I went to Dominion Camp Meeting in Columbus, Ohio at World Harvest Church, and there was like 15,000 people there in attendance. I'm telling you, there was not an empty seat in the place, and T.D. Jakes was preaching. Now, I'd just given my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ at 17 years old, and so I was like still pretty new in the faith, and so I had never walked into a place like this before. I'm like, man, this place is electric. It's unbelievable. Like, I've been to a lot of parties in my lifetime. Man, that was a real party. The world offers the counterfeit. God offers the real thing. I'm telling you. And so I'm in this place like, this is unbelievable. And so Jake's gets up, Bishop Jake's gets up, and he preaches. And, man, he's just preaching the paint off the wall. I'm just like, I'm about to explode. I'm like, ah. And so I, I got introduced to something I'd never seen before, you know, this concept of a dialogue. Because there would be people over here. Because Jake's, he would throw out this zinger, and he would just throw out these points at one hit, you know, shots out there, someone over here would be like, man, that's good. I'm like, oh, yeah. And another person would say, well, this person over here would be like, you know, uh, uh, you know the, um, the amens, the ones we expect, right? Someone over here would be like, pastor, that's good. Preacher, that's true. Preacher. I mean, like, so I'm hearing all this stuff, right? And so I'm like, man, this is awesome. I love this. So I had to join in there every once in a while and be like, amen. Like, well, I had to get mine in there. But can I tell you one that was really awesome because this is just so funny to me? was there came one point where he throws out this zinger, but it's one of those kinds to where no one threw out an amen right away. And I've experienced this before as a pastor where I know I'm throwing something out that's challenging you guys, and it's like, 
like I should say amen, but it's convicting me, so I don't really know that I want to say it, and so everybody gets real quiet. And so it was one of those challenging moments when he says that. But then there's this old guy, like in the front right section, who stands up, and he puts his bony finger up in the air, and he says, the word of the Lord is being preached tonight, which is accompanied by about 10,000 amens. And so just thought I'd share that with you. I have no idea I'm going to tie that back into what we're talking about. What are we talking about? The word of God. Thankful for the word of God. And you know, you've heard me say this many, many times, and that is this, is that if I could ever get you to do one thing, one directive, it would be to spend more time in his word, store it up in your heart, and then be careful to do everything that it tells you to do. Like if there's ever any one thing that I can be like, hey, this is the one thing that I took away from Pastor Chris in my lifetime, it would be that right there, to spend more time in his word, right? And to be careful to do everything that it tells us to do. As a matter of fact, the scripture even encourages that very thing in the book of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Be ready to speak it. Then it says, meditate on it day and night. Now watch this, because this word meditate, oftentimes I think the, we, we allow the, the world's definition of things to kind of, you know, uh, creep into the church. Well, this word meditate isn't like meditate in terms of the new age concept of meditation. But this word meditate is actually a Hebrew word, Hagah. And Hagah is an onomatopoeia. Now, who would be honest and say they know what an onomatopoeia is, right? Three of you. Excellent. Yeah. I skipped that day, too. I just learned it a few years ago. I was like, oh, okay, that's what that word is. So it's the sound that something makes. Like if you say moo, that's a word. Yeah, you're all like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like moo or boo or whatever. Okay, all right. So it's the sound, hagah, that a lion makes whenever it goes and tears into its prey and devours it. As a matter of fact, it's actually translated that way in other places in the Bible, the same. So when the scripture says to meditate on the word, it's saying Hagah. So alliance says Hagah, Hagah, tear into it, devour the word. And so I want you to get an understanding of that because that's what it's talking about when it's talking about the scripture. It's talking about devouring the word. Let it be in your very life source. Meditate on it day and night. So that, watch this, everybody look at me, you may be careful to do what it says to do. So it's not just enough that you know about it. The Bible says this, everybody look at me, that we are to be called doers of the word, not only hearers. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, it says there is a deception that takes place when we just hear it and we think that we're good. Hear me now because this is the American church that needs to hear this. We've got to obey it. And that's what the scripture says right here. It says, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. It says, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I know I told you to turn to the second chapter of Acts. But first, listen, I've got to lay a little bit of foundation before we get into the text. Because you need to know that when you store up God's word in your heart, and you're careful to do what it says to do, the Bible says that you will be prosperous and successful. Now, what does it mean to be prosperous and successful? Well, I can tell you this. God's definition of those two words 
are much different than the world's definition. And you need to know this. Like the world says that success is the attainment of wealth, favor, or eminence through your accomplishment. But that's not to say that that's evil, okay? It's just saying that that's different than God's definition. God's word says that success means to wisely understand, to be prudent, to act circumspectly, which means to carefully consider all the circumstances and the possible consequences. That's a good bit different than from how the world defines success, right? And by the way, in case you're wondering, Chris, where did you get those definitions of the word? Well, I have several tools that I use to go and to try to dive into seeing what a word means. Um, But one great resource that I wanted to share with you guys, which is absolutely free, is called Blue Letter Bible. It's a free app. You can download it on the App Store. Whether you got Apple, Android, doesn't matter. It's there. It's awesome. I love it. And all you have to do is go look up the scripture that you want to read and then click on it. Choose a commentary, which basically will tell you what that word means in the Hebrew, the Greek, or the Aramaic, depending upon which one that you're reading. And then you can get the true meaning of that word's purpose and intent. Thank God that God is using technology for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Amen? But we didn't talk about the other word. Let's talk about the other word, prosperous. Because this one right here is the one that I feel like there needs to be some teaching because it's often misunderstood in the church. Because many associate that word prosperous with the prosperity gospel. And again, the world has told us that being prosperous means that we're doing well financially. That's the very definition. I looked it up in Webster. That's how the world defines prosperity. But I can assure you that the Hebrew word for prosperous is much, much deeper than that. Actually, the word prosperous, it literally means to advance and to make progress. And I learned this other really cool definition. I love the timing of God when something like this happens. I learned this definition many years ago, and it's actually where this phrase came from that you heard about a lot this weekend. But the word prosperous, you know what it literally means? Strength for the journey. Now, does that sound familiar, ladies? (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah, strength for the journey. By the way, didn't my wife do an excellent job at the event yesterday? Man, it's good. That event was called Strength for the Journey for my fellows that didn't just make that connection right there. But you see, God wants us to be prosperous. He wants us to have strength for the journey. He wants us to be successful according to what we just read right here in Joshua 1.8. And if we do a little word study like we just did, and we put it all together, we come up with this. When we tear into God's word, when we keep it on our lips, and we're careful to do all that it says to do, we walk in wisdom, we act prudently, and we advance and make progress with strength for the journey. Come on, isn't that good stuff? All right, so let's dive in. You should be in Acts chapter 2 by now. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, I have been waiting for this day for a long time. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, I want you to pause here for a moment. I'm sure that you can recognize that whenever we come together on a Sunday morning, 
there are some people here, some, who can give an exegetical and thorough hermeneutical breakdown about what Pentecost is and means. But there are others here who have never heard the words exegetical, hermeneutical, or Pentecost in their life. Okay? And as a good pastor and teacher, I'm not only compelled to teach those who are young and new in their faith, but I love getting to. And so I just want to say that I will always do my best to give understanding to the things that I know that there will be people here that may not understand. And if you already know it, great, amen me, all right, while I'm teaching those who don't know. Because I do know that there was a time in my life when I didn't understand what any of those things mean, and neither did you, okay? And by the way, knowing those things isn't what gets you into heaven anyway. Good place to say amen. (laughs) But I will say this, the more that we learn about the things of God, when we're reading in his word, it will cause our hearts to be stirred and drawn more closely to God and to the things of God. And so let me give you a little hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word for interpreting the text, okay? So there's your your word for the day. So the Bible says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So what is Pentecost? Well, first of all, Pentecost is not a denomination. While there is a denomination called Pentecostal, Pentecost is a Greek word that means the 50th day. It was celebrated by the Jews as one of their feasts, and it was seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits, which always occurred the day after the Passover Sabbath. Now, don't worry if you're not catching all this, because some of you are going to be like, whoa, that's a lot. You can go back, you can watch it later, and plus, this isn't even really the main thing. I'm just giving you some details that's leading to the main point. But I do want to at least mention and teach these two feasts just for a minute, uh, because They show just how God set things up for the outpouring of his Holy Spirit and how that God instructed his people to do certain things, and every one of those things had purpose, meaning, and significance. Now, we're going to talk about Pentecost, but watch this. Before we talk about Pentecost, first, I'm going to make sure that you have a good understanding of the Passover, because without the Passover, you don't have a Pentecost. Are are you with me? Now, just in case you're wondering, what's the Passover? Well, the Passover is the celebration of God's deliverance of the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. See, during the time of Joseph, there was a great famine that came upon the whole world. Now, God had revealed this in a dream to the Pharaoh, but Pharaoh, he didn't understand the dream. Now, it just so happened that Joseph had been sold as a slave by his brothers, which caused him to end up in Egypt, where Joseph then ended up in prison because of a false sexual allegation. Let me just stop here for a minute and just throw out a thought for you. Say whatever you may about the Bible, but one thing that you can't say is that it is boring. I mean, if the Bible were accurately portrayed and then made into a movie, it would be rated R. And if you don't agree with that, then that just tells me that you don't know the Bible and you've not read it, okay? So Pharaoh was given a dream by God, and he was told that there was this Hebrew man, Joseph, who was in his prison who had the ability to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh called upon Joseph 
And then Joseph interprets the dream, letting the Pharaoh know that there would be a famine that's coming. And he tells him what he needs to do in order to prepare for it. Well, the famine did come. And it led to the children of Israel needing to go to Egypt to get food because Egypt was the only place in the world at that time that had food because they kept it being prepared for this famine that they knew was coming. Yet when they got there, to their surprise, they found their brother, who they sold as a slave, had now risen to second in command for the whole country. Now, such a, such a story of redemption, if you've never read the story of Joseph, you've got to read it. I mean, I'm flying through this, but Joseph, he could have had his family killed because of what he'd done. But he didn't. He shows grace. It's a little bit of a kind of foreshadowing of Jesus there. It's beautiful. But then he brought his whole family to Egypt where they benefited from his position. Well, after a few hundred years, Joseph died. And then the Pharaoh that was there died. And a new Pharaoh came into power who didn't like the Israelites because they were afraid that the Israelites were going to end up taking over their country. And so this new Pharaoh essentially made them become his slaves. But then God made or raised up a man named Moses, who he used to lead his people out of Egypt. But before the Pharaoh let them go, God sent a series of ten plagues that devastated Egypt. Now, you can read about those later on. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing this out at you real quick. But the last of the ten plagues, and it was the worst one, was the death of the firstborn son. God said, that the firstborn son of every Egyptian would die, even the firstborn of the cattle. And so on the night that it was to happen, God instructed Moses to tell the children of Israel to splash some blood from a sacrificial lamb on their doorpost. Now, you can read about this. And as a matter of fact, let me just read you just a couple verses of it. Uh, Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Let me know that God can do whatever he wants to do because God is God. And he doesn't need our counsel, and he doesn't need our vote. He said, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, notice here in the scripture where it says, I will pass over you. This is where we get our word, Passover. And, of course, God did as he said that he would do, and the children of Israel were freed. Now, in case you're wondering, what does that mean to you and me today? Well, first of all, it was a foreshadowing of Jesus because Jesus is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God without spot or blemish that served as the sacrifice for our sins. And the shedding of his blood represents the forgiveness of sins to those who would receive him. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I've got good news. You're going to have an opportunity to today. And anything that's in your past, all the old, doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made, can be washed clean. Praise God. That's why we call it good news, because that is good news. You see, Jesus is the one who frees us from slavery and from the bondage of sin. He is our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He's our deliverer. And it just so happens that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave during Passover. Come on, that's an act that was not just a coincidence. And, of course, any Jew who would have saw these events unfold 
they couldn't help but to see the parallel between the two. Now, again, I know that we're talking about Pentecost, but first you have to have an understanding and a foundation of what the Passover is before you can fully understand Pentecost. And as I mentioned earlier, Pentecost means the 50th day, which was 50 days after the Passover or the resurrection. So after Jesus died, rose from the grave, the Jews were celebrating the Passover, Jesus dies during this time, and then 50 days later, we now have Pentecost. By the way, Pentecost also fell on a Jewish feast. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, not coincidental. It was a feast called the Feast of Weeks, or what we commonly call Shavuot. Say Shavuot. So you know a little Hebrew now, all right? Shavuot. So what's so special about Shavuot? Well, Shavuot is the celebration of the giving of the law. It's whenever Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and God wrote with his very finger the law on stone tablets. And so the Jews from all over the world would gather in Jerusalem to uh, celebrate the giving of the law and the command. And that's why we'll read later on in verse 5 that there were Jews from all over the world during uh, Pentecost. Now, I want us to get back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Help me, Jesus, I've not made it past the first verse. Uh, um, <laughs> I want you to notice where it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You know, last week uh, we read chapter 1 where it says that they were all in one place and they were of one accord. The disciples, they stayed in this constant state of readiness with one thing in mind. They were praying and they were waiting, ready to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had told them about. And then in verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, I love this verse right here for many reasons. First of all, because of the word suddenly. Because it reveals something to me about God. And that is that he is able to make something happen quickly, suddenly. As a matter of fact, throughout scripture, you'll read many times where it says, and suddenly, God. Jody and I got to experience a suddenly of God this year. After both of us were both given devastating news, we prayed and we waited on God to move. And his suddenly happened. Within a matter of weeks of us both being given a cancer diagnosis, which would require major surgery, we both had surgery scheduled within a week of one another, and both of us came out of surgery without a trace of cancer. Praise God, somebody. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I know that there are some of you that are here this morning that you're waiting on something. And I know that the waiting can oftentimes seem like it takes forever. But can I just tell you that after the waiting, the suddenly comes. The problem is we want the suddenly without the waiting. But just like Jesus required the disciples to wait before he brought about the suddenly, so we too, often we have to wait. But be of good cheer because after the waiting comes the suddenly. Suddenly there come from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verses 3 and 4 says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, 
and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's happening here? Well, first of all, all throughout the Old Testament, fire is a representation and a sign of God's presence. But then the scripture says that that fire, it rested on each one of them. Like it wasn't the fire like the burning bush with Moses. It wasn't like the pillar of fire that was leading the children of Israel uh, throughout the desert. Now we see this fire, like his God's presence, resting on people. And that's why it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now right now I'm just describing to you what happened, but hold tight because here in just a minute I'm going to let you know why it happened. So we're going to talk about what's happening, and then we're going to talk about why. God's presence filled the whole house where they were sitting, and each person was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this would be so easy for me to skip past this verse right here because many churches do. (laughs) And this particular verse right here has been the cause of a lot of division within different Christian denominations. Not only that, but it is also a very misunderstood scripture. So allow me to do a little teaching on the scripture, okay? When the Bible says they began to speak in other tongues, by the way, this is in your Bible. I don't have a special Bible. You can open it up and check if you haven't opened it already. That's not in there. It's in there. It says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's happening right here is a miracle is taking place, guys. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. That's why it says that it was the Spirit that gave them utterance. It wasn't something that they had learned before or they had heard before, but they were speaking as the Holy Spirit directed them to speak. Verses 5 through 8 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why? Because it was Shavuot. This is one of the three feasts that all um, Jewish men were commanded to come to Jerusalem for. And so, of course, there's going to be people from all over the world here. And the scripture says, And at This sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native languages? Now, when we hear the phrase, speaking in tongues, because that kind of causes people to be like, whoa, right? Let me, let me just give a little teaching here. Know that I am speaking in tongues right now. You know why? Because a tongue is any language, okay? The problem is we've taken that phrase right there and we've delegated it to one aspect of tongues. You see, the Bible teaches, and it teaches this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are various types of of tongues in the world. That means there's many different types, okay? There's the language that we've all grown up with, and most of it we just pick up on it because we hear it, and bam, we really didn't even have to spend a whole lot of time learning it. But then there's the language that maybe we've learned through education, right? Like it's our second or third language, but it's not our native language. By the way, whenever you speak two languages, you're bilingual. 
when you speak three languages, you're trilingual. When you speak just one language, you're an American. <laughs> but then there's another language that the Apostle Paul talks about, which is the tongues of angels. Now, you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And that language is not one that's learned. And it's not one that anyone else has learned, but it's a heavenly language. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later on whenever we come to this in Acts. But the speaking in tongues that's referenced here in Acts chapter 2 is different from the, any of the ones that I just mentioned. This is where the Holy Spirit moved on the disciples in such a way that they spoke a language that was not their native language, but it was the native tongue of some of the Jews from other countries that were worshiping God there during Shavuot. Like this one particular tongue right here, because I said there's various types of tongues. This is what I like to call a miracle of language. Now, I said that we're going to talk about the what, but now let me describe why. Because you're thinking, okay, why did God do, or, you know, why did he do that? Let's talk about that. God used the disciples to speak in a language that was unknown to them. And by the way, the people that were listening, they knew it, right? That'd be like, okay, I'm from Kentucky, right? It'd be like a, a bunch of guys from Kentucky coming in, and all of a sudden, something, one of them over here is speaking Russian, another person speaking Indian dialect, and another person speaking Russian. You're going to be like, okay, that was a miracle, <laughs> right? And so they knew there's no way. These are Galileans, you know? These aren't the smartest guys in the world, you know? But they're coming along, and they're speaking a language that we understand. And so God used them to speak a language that was unknown to them, but it was known to the Jews that were there in Jerusalem. And by the way, just to give you an indication of the diversity of languages that would have been there during Shavuot, the Bible says in verse 9 that there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites. I know some of y'all are like, who's that? Well, that's like saying Brazilians and Chinese, and okay, it's different countries, right? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, right? Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's a pretty diverse group right there. Then it goes on to say, watch this, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's a miracle. A group of Galileans, right? Not the ones they would, I mean, some of the ones that most people would overlook, God used to do this miracle. And so why did the Holy Spirit prompt the disciples to speak in a language that they had never learned before? Because God wanted to use it as a sign that it was indeed God who was pouring out his spirit upon his people and to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want to highlight and what I want to help you see is that it's not just the tongues. And by the way, in case you're thinking, man, that doesn't happen anymore these days, I assure you that it does. I assure you it does. I remember one time Fred Marker, he is the director of uh, Youth with a Mission, went into a remote area of India where no one there knew, like, the language of the people. However, some of the young people were starting to learn English, and so they were trying to connect with the children. And so he went up to an older gentleman there, 
And he felt impressed, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to speak in a language, and he was like, what is going on? I, I, I feel something going on. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Now, imagine the faith that it took to do this. And I know this guy, so I know you may be thinking, I understand if you're a little skeptical, but this is a guy's the, the real deal. Right? He's the president of YWAM. And he was there, and their heart was to reach the people for the gospel. And so he goes up to the guy, and he says, he goes, I just started, like, speaking in tongues to the guy in this, some type of Indian dialect that I did not know. And I thought, man, what in the world am I doing? But I feel like I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to obey God. And so he said a bunch of stuff, and he says, then he felt like he was supposed to stop, then he stopped. And he says, the guy was looking at him the whole time. He says, the guy's probably looking at him like, this guy's crazy. What is this guy doing, you know? And then he says something to the kid, and the kid looks up at Fred and says, my grandpa wants to know how you know our language. No outsiders know our language. And Fred said, what did I say to him? <laughs> and so a conversation started going back and forth to where the grandpa started telling the kid who started telling Fred. He says, he said that you told him that you're going to come down here and buy this building right down the road, and you're going to teach us about agriculture and how to do, and started telling him about how to build a garden and how to do, and all this big elaborate plan. He's like, hang on a minute. He pulled out his pen and paper. He goes, can you tell me that again? And he started writing it down. And guess what? That was the very thing that they did. Now, I know some of you might be a little, I'm not real sure about that. I was in Haiti. Some of you were here. Like, with me, they're in this room, in this place, can verify this is true. I was there sharing the gospel with someone. I had my notes. I was like, that's why I was going to preach to the Haitian people, right? And I got there, and, and half the kids were naked, running around, and it looked like National Geographic. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I said, I can't preach what I put together. And I threw my notes away and went up, and I just preached the gospel from my heart and whatever God gave me. And at the very end, I wanted to minister to them and, and pray for them. And I did. And I uh, got to pray for people, and God healed some. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't know what you think about that. I don't care. I'm telling you it's the truth. I'm not a liar. And there's at least a dozen people in this room that will verify it. God healed the whole village. It wrecked me. That's the reason I can say it, and I don't care if someone looks at me and thinks I've got a third eye. I'm like, dude, you know, man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Like, I was there. And I remember after preaching the gospel, looking up and seeing these people, and, and recognizing that they were sick, I asked them, I said, how many of y'all are sick? Hands up everywhere. I said, how many of y'all are in pain? Hands went up everywhere. And I looked at them, and I couldn't believe what came out of my mouth next. I just said, God's going to heal all of you. And the interpreter kind of looked at me, and he's like, are you sure, Pastor Chris? <laughs> I was like, yes. And we started praying, and, and this one lady got healed, and it was one that you could see with your eyes. It wasn't just, oh, my headache went away, wonderful, but she was bow-legged, and all of a sudden her legs were no longer bow-legged, and she started dancing. And then I, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, like, they don't teach you this stuff in Bible college, <laughs> you know? And uh, all of a sudden, after she got healed, all, all these other Haitians come up, and they started coming up and just, like, grabbing me. I mean, like, like Sage, watch this, come here. Like, they came up, like, and was grabbing my hand like this and, like, trying to put my hand on them right? And I was like, what's going on? They're like pulling on my clothes and stuff. And then it dawned on me. Oh, like, cause they saw these people get healed. So they'll put my hand. But then I realized, oh my gosh, they're, they're focusing on me. And, and that's not what's supposed to happen. I said, that's not what's supposed to happen. When I get behind this pulpit, this ain't to bring it to, it's 
everything's for him. And I'm not just talking about the touchdown. Oh, it's all yours, Lord. No, I mean, like, it's got to be all Jesus. And so a word came to me. One word. That was it. Just one word. But I will promise you it was a word that I did not know. Matter of fact, I only knew two words. I knew, uh, and I taught it to Megan. Uh, And do you remember it? Amway and policia. You were 12 at the time. (laughs) That meant help. And police, <laughs> if we get in trouble, yell, Amway, Policia. Those are the only two words I knew. And these people are pulling on me, and I realize what's going on. And to the top of my lungs, I had a word, much in what happened here. I said this word, le patience, le patience, le patience, le patience. Anybody know what I said, by the way? Huh? Nope. Patience. Yeah, I didn't know what I said either. As a matter of fact, after I said it, I saw Pastor Ben, Haitian, looking at me. I looked over and said, brother, what did I just say? Because I knew it, it kind of sounded like a Creole sound to it, right? Haitian Creole sound. He goes, brother, you just told them patience. And they became patient when they saw this, you know, Kentucky white boy come all the way down and say, le patience in perfect dialect, right? And the rest of them got healed and a bunch of people got saved and God was glorified that day. Now, why do I tell you that? Yeah, praise God. Yeah, yeah. Funny thing was, there was no cameras rolling, none of that, none of the lights, big screens, all that stuff. God wants to move in our life, just not here on a Sunday morning, church. Matter of fact, I believe it's more about the Monday school and the Wednesday school rather than the Sunday school. Thank God for church. You know I'm a big advocate of church. There's a time that we come together and we gather together. God wants to send us out each week, and he wants to use us in mighty ways. And that's why the Holy Spirit prompted the disciples to speak as they did. And what I want to highlight here is to help you to see, though, that it is not just about the tongue. Like, This right here is where people get caught up in this, and they fail to recognize the the more important thing of what's really happening. You see, it's not about the tongues. It's about a group of people who are willing to do anything that God calls them to do. I mean, imagine being one of the 120 that were praying in the upper room that day. Mighty rushing wind blows through. The presence of God manifests on every person there. And then they are prompted to speak. Only speak what probably sounded like gibberish to them. But to those hearing, they heard them speak about the mighty works of God. Now, this is where I want to bring all this down to where we live. Because while God may or may not use you to speak in another language for his glory, I'll tell you this, and this is what I want to ask. Will you do whatever it is that the Holy Spirit prompts you to do? Will you go outside of your comfort zone? And share your testimony with your peers, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Will you take the time out of your busy schedule to go and to serve someone else? Will you give of your time and your energy and your resources for the sole purpose of advancing the kingdom of God? Church, God desires to use a people who is willing and that will say yes even before they are given the instructions. Those that were waiting and praying in the upper room, I'm certain that they, they, they would have done anything that God would have prompted them to do. They would have danced. 
They would have sang. They would have gave away everything they had. Actually, they do do that later on. And, uh, or even speak in a language that they didn't know if it meant to do it for the glory of God. But what about you? What will you do for the glory of God? I can tell you this. When the, Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, he preloads us with other gifts. And he desires to release much more in us and through us than we could ever possibly imagine. But what you've got to understand is those gifts are given for delivery, not accumulation. We receive them in order to pass them along to others. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit isn't meant to give you thrills, but it's to lead people to Jesus and to create a Christ-like character within us. And it's important that we understand that because there's a lot of people who they're just seeking the, the goosebumps of the Holy Spirit, but then they often fail to recognize that the purpose of the presence is always to point people to Jesus and to transform lives. You see, when you strip it of everything else, Pentecost represents power and life. God wants to use us in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life. And to bring it in abundance. I know that I'm throwing a lot at you. Are you guys catching this? So what happens next? Well, in verse 14, Peter stands up. He delivers a sermon, which takes up about the next 22 verses. So we're not going to read it this morning. You can read it later. Uh, part of which is, is Peter letting them know that what they're seeing take place was something that was spoken about many, many years ago by the prophet Joel. He says that in the last days, God said, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. By the way, if you want to know who is qualified to prophesy in the last days, the Bible says that the old are qualified, but so are the young. It says that the men are qualified, but so are the women. Some denominations must have failed to read that particular verse. <laughs> but then it says, so are the servants. Now watch this. You do a little word study, as I did, and that word right there, servant, literally means slave. Now that's not advocating slavery in any form or fashion, okay? It's just saying that no matter where you find yourself, even if you find yourself enslaved in some way, God says you are still just as qualified as anyone else. Hey, aren't you glad that God calls us no matter where we are in life, that God will use us? I mean, like, not only does he use us, but, like, he calls us. I mean, consider Peter, the guy who gets up and preaches this Message, Peter was a fisherman, yet God chose him and called him rather than a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, God has a history of calling those who the world overlooks. Like Peter had a bad temper. Noah got drunk. Miriam was a gossip. Thomas was a doubter. Elijah, he was moody. Sarah was impatient. Zacchaeus was short. That's good news for all you short people, all right? 
Gideon was insecure. Martha was a warrior. David had an affair. And Paul was a murderer. And what did God have to say to each and every one of those? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I've got good news for you this morning. If you feel like you're not qualified, if you feel like you're not good enough, God is attracted to weakness. Because it's in that place that he can show himself strong. Peter stands up, delivers a sermon that's spot on. And the Bible says that those that were listening were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart is a metaphor, meaning that their heart was, was pierced or, or, or pricked. Eric said that earlier. In, in other words, they were convicted of their need for Jesus. And so they asked Peter, sir, must, what must we do to be, be saved? And Peter tells them to repent. Now, do you know what it means to, re to repent? Hear me on this, because I feel like we have sold a false gospel in America. We just tell people, pray this prayer, that's all that it takes. No, Jesus said to repent. Jesus didn't say, just say you're sorry. I'm sorry, God, I messed up again. Repent. Yeah, I mean, that's part of repentance, right? God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I know I messed up. I, I, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm born a sinner. But to repent means, the word repent quite literally means to do a 180. That means I'm going one way, and then when I repent, I stop and I say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Please be my Savior. I'm going the other way. The old's passed away. The new is coming. Can I tell you something? For those of you that are still living in the old, the new is so much better. The new is so much better. I love teenagers. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I love seeing all these young people right here on the front. Let me tell you something. The new is better. I'm telling you. I chased after the things of this world up until I was almost 18 years old. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care if it's chasing a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I don't care if it's chasing sports, if it's going to a party, being popular. Let me tell you something. Every single one of those things will cause you to be empty if that's what you're chasing. Because you have a God-sized cavern on the inside of you. And only Jesus can fill that hole. Hear me, young people. Hear me, because if you go and you chase after those things, you think, I don't know, man. These people seem like they're happy. They're not. Like those that are living for the Friday night lights, can I assure you that they shut those lights off at the end of the night, right, coach? <laughs> that date will end. That party will eventually be over. And then what do you got? Nothing. Because the world, watch this, the world is a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the reason it says, don't be drunk with wine. Drunk ain't going to make. You can't drink your, your problems away. You can't snort your problems away, adults, or whatever it is you're doing to try to, look, you can't sleep your, part, or your, your problems away. Like, Jesus is the answer. He is the solution, and he is the one who fills us. And he fills us in such a way that, man, he brings life. And if it weren't true, if what I'm saying to you is lying, I wouldn't be up here preaching to you. I would still be out there doing those things. I'm not an idiot. But I'll tell you what, when it said taste and see that the Lord is good, I taste it and it's good. He's good. He's so good. He's so good. What must we do to be saved? Peter tells him, repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, it says that those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That, that's a good one right there. 
Now, this is where we're going to stop for today. But I want you to take in everything that we just read and talked about. Here we have a, a group of 120 people praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And when he comes, the people didn't have any other agenda but to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. By the way, can I just say that the safest place that you could ever be is following the Holy Spirit's lead. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say that the reason that we don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in our churches is today is because we followed man's lead and that we've created our systems and structures to the point to where we've planned out almost every aspect of church. And I do believe there's some truth to that, by the way. Um, but the church isn't just a place that we gather on Sundays. The church is the individual members of the body of Christ. And so if we're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, like that's not on someone else. That's on us. We've got to let go of the reins and trust God to do what he wants to do in us and through us. No matter how difficult that thing may be, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us, and no matter how much of it we don't understand. One of the things that I love about the story that we are reading today is how that the disciples, they obeyed right away. I mean, what a great model for us. But could you imagine if they had tried to figure out what it was that God had called them to do. I mean, like, had it been the American church, we'd have done one or two things. One, we'd have said, oh, it can't be done. And many churches would have dismissed it as impossible, and they would have just clung to their doctrine of cessationism, saying, well, God just doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, God doesn't do miracles anymore. So that's... Right, they're probably half of the American church. That's the reason I said last week, George Barna's statistics said that 68% of people who go to a church on a regular basis doesn't even believe there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit. My God, help our nation. Or two, we try to figure out how to make it happen in our own strength. Right? We wouldn't just dismiss it, but we'd say, hey, let's see, how can we do that? What system could we put in place? What policy could we implement? We'd go, we'd compile a list of everyone at the feast. And then we'd say, well, I got an idea. Let's go download uh, Google Translate, and we'll have Google do it for us. Well, can I tell you something? That Google can't move on the hearts of men. Only the Spirit of God can move in such a way that it leads men and women to Christ. Now, let me leave you with this last thought. I didn't read the, the sermon that, that Peter preached because of how long it was. Uh, you can read it later on, but... I want you to keep in mind who it was that courageously gets up and preaches to thousands. Like this is Peter here. This was the same guy that little over a month ago cowardly denied Christ three times. So what happened that caused Peter to go from cowardice to courageous? What gave him this confidence to boldly declare the truth of God? Well, I can promise you this. It wasn't because he went for the next month and binged on a bunch of self-help books. No, his courage and his confidence came from the Holy Spirit of God. I think that you're going to find in the book of Acts that we really can't do anything of value on our own. 
It's only through the wisdom, the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do anything of significance. Here's where I want to bring today's message to a close. Stand with me if you would. Oh my goodness, there's so much I want to teach you in Acts chapter 2. Golly, if I would teach it all though, it would be in the book of Acts for a year. I didn't teach you things like Pentecost being a reverse on the curse of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, that was a time when uh, the people were divided and all of a sudden they started speaking in different languages and they couldn't understand one another. But at Pentecost, now you have people who are united and not divided and they could speak one another's language. Or the fact that Pentecost mirrored Shavuot. I mentioned this earlier, but Shavuot was when God wrote the law on stone with his finger. But at Pentecost, God then, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wrote his law on their hearts. Or, said I wasn't going to teach it. See how I slid that in there, Pastor Daniel? <laughs> or 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost, which also mirrored Shavuot. Because if you know the story, Moses went up to Mount Sinai. And then when he was there, he was getting the golden tablets. When he came back down, the children of Israel, they had made a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. And as a result, Moses then ordered the Levites to kill 3,000 men. So at the giving of the law at Shavuot, 3,000 were dead. But at Pentecost, 3,000 came to life. All right, I'll stop there. We'll <laughs> but watch this. We got time. Here's what I want, and I would love for us to end on this morning. I want us to go back into worship. And then I want to ask you to individually close your eyes if you would and to just focus for a moment. Don't think about where you're going to eat. Don't think about who's beside you or around you. And let's ask and invite the Holy Spirit to come, to take up habitation. And it'll allow him to do his work both in us and through us. Hey, watch this. It doesn't take a secret recipe. It just takes a heart that longs for Jesus and that desires nothing more than his presence. I'm going to read you this psalm, Psalm 63. And as soon as I'm done reading it, we're going to go right back in to a time of worship. And we're going to seek God. David said in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I praise you with joyful lips. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings for you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, Let's let this song be our prayer. Let's sing it, church.